Welcome to the 142nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast. I'm your host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, we will do our weekly division-by-division look at the MLB and talk about the NBA playoffs. So, let's start with the American League East. The New York Yankees are leading 13 uh, at 13-6, and six, I should say, with the Blue Jays not far behind at 13-7. and seven. The Rays at 11-8 and eight are in the third, and the Boston Red Sox are in fourth at 8-12. and 12. And then you have the Baltimore Orioles at the bottom of the division at 6-13, and 13, seven games back already. And, uh, well, I guess I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. Uh, that I do not expect to change very much, not expecting very much out of the Orioles this year. With all due respect, they are not really built to contend uh, for this division or really even for a playoff spot, and... They're in a very hard division to do so, even if they were trying. Uh, And, look, it's probably not going to be a great season for them again, but the goal is that they can bring up some of their prospects and at least look respectable by the end of the season uh, and put on some good showings and look like they have at least somewhat of a future with their prospects. But we'll see how that goes. Obviously, Adley Rutschman's the really, really big name there, but they have some other prospects, too, that are pretty good. Uh, But let's move on instead to a team who shouldn't be needing prospects, but... Looks like they need just answers in general right now. The Boston Red Sox are 8-12, very, very poor performance relative to expectations heading into the season. Uh, I really cannot explain the problem for Boston. I don't think I've watched enough of their games to really identify what the problem might be. Uh, But the one problem that they're really going to start having soon is that they haven't played too many games in their division. They did get two of three taken from them by the Rays last weekend, but haven't played too many games in their division other than that Yankee series and that Rays series to start the year. Once they start playing those top three teams in the division, I mean, their schedule is going to get a lot harder and you, you'd assume that their record might even take an even bigger hit because of that. So, uh, they, they need to figure it out and they need to figure it out soon. Whatever they need to do, they need to fix it. (laughs) Uh, whatever problems they have, they should iron them out as soon as possible because, you can't get behind in a, in a big divi- in a, in a division as good and as competitive as the AL East. Uh, we saw it last year, even with the Dodgers, that just a little bit of struggles. I mean, they played so well down the stretch of the season. They were the best team in the league down the stretch, but they couldn't catch up to the Giants because the Giants were on a blazing pace from the start of the season, uh, and the Dodgers couldn't quite catch up because of some of the rough patches they had in the beginning to early, early-ish parts of the season, about 40 or 50 games in, some slumps there. And that really held them back the whole season. And uh, that's the thing that really, and obviously some individual games too, but that'll be what holds the Red Sox back as their start of the season. If they don't make the playoffs, you should look at that as the reason why. But let's move on to the good teams in the division, the teams that are all above 500. Uh, the Rays actually have the a flipped version of the Red Sox run differential. Red Sox at minus six and the Rays at plus six. Uh, but overall, Rays just doing what the Rays do. Their pitching has not been as good as it normally is this year, but it's still it's still good, uh, and it's been able to still make them a really really good team this year so far. Uh, sitting at eleven and eight, obviously eight and five at home too, which is good, and seven and three in their last ten. So they've been playing well recently. But even with good play recently, they still have not caught up to the second place Toronto Blue Jays, who are thirteen and seven, sitting at a a half a game back of the Yankees, so not too far behind at all, uh, but they deal, they do still have some ground to make up, uh, and, you know, sitting in a half game back, it isn't terrible, but it's still pretty good, 
they're, they're playing well this season. They have the, they're tied for the second best record in all of the AL. So there's that, uh, they don't really have much room to get better. I mean, it's kind of impossible. Uh, but the Yankees currently, uh, with all the stuff that, you know, has gone on with their injuries and all that stuff in the past few seasons and the Garrett Cole stuff, they're now finally at the top of the division where they're supposed to be. Although that's not to say that it's going to continue for the whole season. I, everybody knows my division pick is the Blue Jays for this division, but the Yankees currently sitting at the top at 13 and six, uh, half game above the Blue Jays. Uh, and they, they've played well, especially at home. They're 10 and three at home, only three and three on the road, but we've seen the Dodgers build a lot of success off of a, a similar type of uh, model. I mean, they're, they're, t- they're only one game back of the best record in the league and the Dodgers are six and one at home and only six and five on the road. So you can, you can do, you can be barely above 500 and on the road and still just be ridiculous at home. And you will end up with a very, very good record as long as you don't, you're not too bad on the road, but it looks like the Yankees are kind of copying that formula a little bit. Uh, and it seems to be working. They have a plus 26 run differential. They've won six games in a row and they're currently sitting at 13 and six at the top of the AL East and with the best record overall in the AL. So good for the Yankees, a good start, but you know, their roster is supposed to do this. So this shouldn't really be a surprise, but moving on to what should be a surprise, the Minnesota twins at the top of the AL central three games ahead of second place. And by the way, second place at seven and 10, the Kansas city Royals, they're not the team who's supposed to be behind the 11 and eight twins. That's supposed to be the Chicago white Sox, who are in third at seven and 11, three and a half games back of the twins. Then you have the guardians who are seven and 12, four games back and the Tigers six and 12, four and a half games back. Overall, this division has been the most underwhelming division ever. I would say, uh, at least in the early, the most underwhelming division through 20 games of the season. And I also will say, this game, this division looked really, really competitive at the beginning of the year, and it looked like the Twins were going to be the ones who were left behind, but you flip this around, look, the Guardians were 7-5 and five at some point, the Twins were 4-8, and eight, uh, and then the White Sox, who were 1-9 and nine in their last 10, were 6-2, and two, and the Tigers were also 6-7, and seven, which is respectable enough, and they were 4-4. Four and four, and now all of a sudden the twins look, are running away with this. I mean, obviously super, super early in the season. So it's not like, it's not like this is like the final standings or anything, but uh, the twins are really coming away with this division right now, as we have the White Sox struggling with their injuries. Uh, and look, the White Sox were able to kind of stay afloat last year. And this time this year, it, it's just been a sinking ship so far. Uh, not much to talk about when it comes to the Royals and the Guardians. I feel like they're performing pretty much at where I expected them to. Maybe the Guardians a little bit worse and the Royals slightly better, but not by too not by too big of a margin either way. Uh, the Twins definitely big overachievers in my mind though, and uh, maybe not necessarily overachievers, but playing well above expectations. Uh, and then the Tigers definitely the biggest underachiever in this division. I, I honestly think that they they the fact that they're six and twelve is is honestly worse than the White Sox being seven and eleven when you consider the injuries and all the other stuff that the White Sox have been dealing with that the Tigers really haven't had to deal with. Only really the Javi Baez injury was the big one. But other than that, it, it hasn't been as bad as the White Sox have, not even close. But let's move on to another division where another team is finally doing what their roster is supposed to be doing. The Los Angeles Angels are sitting at the top of the AL West at 13-7, and seven, a half game back of the Yankees for the best record in the AL, in the AL overall. They have won five in a row. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They almost have 100 runs scored this year. They will be the first team to do so if they scored 
one run today before any other team in the league scored. Uh, they're at 99 right now. 79 runs allowed, which isn't great in terms of their pitching, but overall, a plus 20 differential, and if that's the model they're going to build themselves on, I think it'll work out for them, honestly, because they do have a very, very formidable lineup. Uh, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and then, you know, a lot of guys that people don't really know much about that are playing really well. I mean, you have Danny Fletcher, who's the guy who's just going to get hits and really be annoying <laughs> uh, to play against, frankly. You have Jared Walsh, who's also a big slugger there. Uh, you have Taylor Ward, who's kind of broken out this year. It's the start of his breakout. And, you know, when you carry all that together, and you, as long as they can get some production from Anthony Rendon anywhere near the level of his MVP season, uh, or near MVP season, I don't actually remember if he ended up winning it that year, they'll be a very good team all year long. They haven't gotten Shohei's best pitching yet. They haven't gotten Rendon's best bat yet. And here they are at 13-7 and seven at the top of their division. It's a very good sign for the Angels. Meanwhile, another good sign is that the Mariners are 11-8. and eight. They're looking good to start the season after maybe a little bit of a rough patch at the very, very beginning, but they're 7-3 and three in their last 10, now sitting one and a half games back of the Angels. And by the way, this year, no run, no run differential dilemma. They are not unlucky. They're actually right on luck. They're plus 20 run differential uh, at 11-8, and eight, although maybe that's actually even a little bit unlucky, but you'd expect that to even out a little bit. Then you have the Astros and the A's at 10-9. and nine. Uh, interesting that those two teams are tied. I'm kind of surprised. And then you have the Rangers at the bottom of the division at 6-13. Same record as the Orioles. A uh, little bit worse than the Tigers by a half a game. So overall, Rangers don't have a good outlook on the season. But this division has gotten really, really exciting with the fact that the A's are actually, are actually playing way better than we expected them to be. The Astros are playing a little bit below expectations for now. Uh, and then the Mariners and the Angels are playing up to the expectations that we, that they're, well, are ceiling expectations for these teams. We've known they have the upside and the talent to get there, but they really have never shown it, especially in the Angels case. You know, it's not like the Mariners had Mike Trout for the last nine years or anything. Meanwhile, the Angels have, uh, but overall, th this is a good, this is a good division right now. And I'm liking to see the Angels at the top of the division because I want to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. I think everybody does. You want to see the best players in the playoffs uh, and you know, sometimes his team has not allowed him to get there and, you know, he, he'll put up MVP years and his team still doesn't make the playoffs. And that's kind of been the story of his career, but hopefully this could be the start of something new where it's, you know, turning around a little bit with Shohei in town as the new era is ushered in, but let's move on from a new era to a different league. Let's move on to the national league, starting in the NL East where the New York Mets are leading the division. Their record currently sits at 14 and six. Uh, the best record in the entire majors, and also up there in run differential, third behind the Giants and the Dodgers, who both have plus 44 run differentials. Uh, the Mets at plus 33, uh, but you know, actually out outscoring both those teams, the Giants and the Dodgers, with a little bit, with a few extra games, and uh, you know, more runs allowed because extra games. Uh, and by the way, don't forget, there is that guy that the Mets will be getting later in the season. His name is Jacob Degrom, and he, you know, he knows how to throw the baseball uh, pretty well. <laughs> um, so look, the Mets are even getting reinforcements as the season, as the season, uh, progresses and they're already off to a great start. And speaking of teams that are off to a great start, they didn't start on a great start, but now that we're 18 games in the Marlins at above 500 is a good sight to see, uh, currently sitting at 10 and eight, three games behind the Mets. Uh, they are, they're on a five game winning streak right now. They are playing very, very well, uh, so far this season for a team that, didn't necessarily start the season so well. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies are 10 and 10. 
four games back of the Mets. Definitely under expectations, but they have won uh, four in a row, so they're definitely starting to turn it around, and they're looking good for the rest of the season. Then you have the Atlanta Braves, who have definitely played under expectations. 9-11 and on the season, five games back of the Mets. Uh, they've won, they won, well, they're 4-6 and six in their last 10. Uh, overall, pitching has not been great for them. Run, run production has been okay, but they did get Ronald Acuna back this week, so that should be a very, very, very big addition uh, for the Braves. And then finally, at the bottom of the division, as is expected, you have the Washington Nationals at 6-15, and 8.5 games back. They have lost 8 in a row. Uh, 110 runs allowed, which is a staggering number, easily the most in the league. Uh, they just haven't been great so far, and honestly, kind of expect it, and they kind of expect it to stay the same going forward. But after that, uh, not much to talk about in the NL East. Definitely interesting with the Mets there, and then obviously the Marlins performing somehow better than the Phillies and the Braves, but the Phillies and the Braves definitely have more room to turn it around and definitely have more talent than the Marlins. Uh, so they should, they might be better at the end of the season. And if they're not, the Marlins did a great job building their roster together to actually get there, but we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, for now, let's move on from the NL East to the NL Central. In the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are currently in the lead at 13 and seven on the season. One game back of them are the St. Louis Cardinals at 11 and seven. Then you have the Pittsburgh Pirates at eight and 11. Uh, then you have the Chicago Cubs at 8-11, and 11, and you also have the Cincinnati Reds, by far the worst team in the league, at 3-16. and 16. I would say I don't know how the Reds got so bad, but I think it's honestly quite obvious if you've looked at their roster and really, well, maybe not their roster, but the feed that, I mean, any of their local reporters would have shown you in the offseason of every trade that they made and everybody they traded away, I mean... The only, pretty much the only guy they didn't trade away was Joey Votto. Uh, maybe besides that, Tyler Stevenson you could count, but he technically wasn't their starter for most of the year. It was mostly Tucker Barnhart. Uh, and yeah, Kyle Farmer too, but I mean, look, they're not trying to be very good this season. I think I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and if that's their goal, they're doing a great, great job of being as bad as possible because uh, they are terrible. <laughs> Um, but moving on back to the top of the division, the Brewers were somewhat struggling at the beginning of the year. You know, it happens when a pitcher isn't quite himself and the lineup is still kind of getting, getting into the swing of things. And then when you're a team that's built around really strong pitching and, and having, I wouldn't say just enough offense to get over the hump necessarily, but a, a barely above average offense. And really, really good pitching, like best in the league quality, which is kind of the, what the Brewers are built off of. You need, if your pitching's not going at the beginning of the year, you're probably going to lose some games. And that's really what happened in their first series against the Cubs. But now Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and the rest of the staff, uh, back to their normal selves, it seems, been pitching very, very well recently. And because of that, they're at 13 and 7, they're at the top. Then you have the Cardinals, who actually have less runs allowed and more runs scored. Then the Brewers, despite playing two less games, that helps them in the runs allowed territory, but definitely doesn't in the runs scored uh, territory. So it's good for the Cardinals so far that their offense has been so potent to start the season. I think they are built to be a better offensive team than the Brewers, but they should they should be happy that their pitching is also pitching so well to start the season uh, with the plus 23 run differential to start with. 
Then you have the Pirates and the Cubs at 8 and 11. I don't think either of these teams are going to be playoff contenders. Uh, the Pirates are really lucky. I mean, look, they have a minus 35 run differential in 19 games. Uh, it's worse than the Tigers who are, who are, who are 6 and 12. It's worse than the Orioles who were 6 and 13. It's worse than the Rangers who were 6 and 13. It's it's actually the only teams worse than them are the Reds and the Nationals. Um the Reds and the Nationals are also the only other teams other than the Colorado Rockies to have allowed over 100 runs, but also they play at Coors Field, so, you know, a little more to be expected there, but look, they they haven't played well to start the season. Uh to be honest, when you talk about the Cubs, I think they can be a little bit better, uh, but look, that's a different subject. Sorry, I should go back to the Pirates who I was actually talking about. Lost my train of thought going with all the run differential stuff. Kind of brought me around the standings a little bit, but the Pirates are terrible. Uh, I think they'll continue to be terrible. I don't think there's much hope for them, but because of that, I'll just move on to the Cubs now like I meant to do. <laughs> um, the Cubs playing better-ish than they were last year, but I, I they're still not a playoff quality team. They're just not... It just doesn't look like they can be that kind of a team yet. But they're young. Uh, they're just adding new international free agents like Seiya Suzuki. They're they're getting guys back. They're they're really integrating guys into the MLB who, you know, haven't been up in the majors so much. They've kind of had their careers in the minor leagues or not really given that much of opportunities while they have been in the majors. And now they're kind of taking those guys and trying to make them into everyday MLB guys. It'll take a little bit. But I think this team has a good future ahead of them. I'm not going to say that they need to mail it in for the season, but I don't think they're going to do too well uh, unless they make some additions at the trade deadline after being pretty decent to start the year and maybe through halfway the halfway mark of the season. Then it could get interesting there in Chicago. But let's move on from Chicago. Let's go to the NL West, where the San Francisco Giants lead the division at 13-6. and six. A plus-44 run differential is tied for division rivals in second place, Dodgers, at 44, plus 44 for both the Giants and the Dodgers, uh, actually one run off each other. The Dodgers, one run, well, I, one run off each other and run scored, I should say. So very, very similar model. The Giants, 91 runs scored and 47 allowed. Dodgers, 90 scored and 46 allowed. Uh, both of them, 6-4 and four in their last 10. Dodgers, 12-6, and six, a half game behind. Uh, but overall, both these teams playing up to expectations to start the season. It's hard to do better than they have. And when you look at it for both of them, there are still people who can play better on their teams individually. Uh, there are still guys who can come back from injury. Uh, for the Dodgers, they, they obviously are getting Dustin May back at some point this year. We now know that Trevor Bauer will not be coming back this year or next season unless his appeal goes through. But we'll see what happens with that. But I highly doubt he'll be pitching for the Dodgers this year uh, now that that two-year suspension has been handed out. But we do have... The, the fact that the Dodgers are, you know, they, their main producers aren't really exactly doing that much. I mean, Freddie Freeman's had a great start to the year and Trey Turner have had great starts to the year. But everybody else, I mean, Max Muncy's hitting under 200. Uh, Mookie Betts and Justin Turner are hitting under 210. And overall, that's three of the top five in the lineup. So really the production has come from the bottom of the lineup and then also with Freddie Freeman there. And then occasionally Mookie Betts, and, and occasionally Turner, he still has some good RBIs. He's still been a clutch hitter, even though he hasn't been, he hasn't really found a stride average-wise overall. Uh, but when you look down the rest of the division, the Rockies started to cool off. They're now in fourth, but let's go to the Padres, who are 13-7, and seven, a half a game back, uh, tied with the Dodgers, but a half game back of the Giants. Same amount of runs scored as the Giants, one more than the Dodgers. 
Uh, they've won three in a row. They were they're eight and two in their last ten with both losses coming against the Dodgers. However, uh, they've given up 77 runs, so 30 more than the Giants and 31 more than the Dodgers. That starting pitching staff that was supposed to be so coveted and so good, I don't think has performed up to expectations. To be quite honest, I think. Look, their run production has been better than what it's supposed to be, considering that they don't have Fernando Tatis yet. But pitching, not so much, uh, and that's really been the reason that they haven't been really on fire to start the season. Although, look, 13-7, and seven, again, can't do much better than that. But it might not be enough in, in the end in this division because this division is crazy, and they definitely need to beat the Dodgers and the Giants the next time, next time around they play them. Uh, and look, then you have the Rockies, who did a good job splitting the series at the beginning of the season with the Dodgers, or actually taking two out of three, I guess. Uh, but they are now 10-9, and nine, 102 runs allowed, fourth worst uh, runs allowed in the league. Uh, they've lost four in a row. They're four and six in their last 10. They have cooled off. That pitching staff that I thought could be really good doesn't look so good anymore. It's mostly on the bullpen, to be quite honest. I don't think the starters have been terrible for them. Uh, but overall, the run production also isn't really what you'd like to see for a team in cores to be somewhere. I mean, they're, I think they are technically probably somewhere above average, but not a by a lot. So it, it's not going to be a winning formula for them. Uh, but Let's move on to the bottom of the league. Sorry, Rockies, but let's move on to the bottom of the league. Arizona, 8-12, and 12, five and a half games back of the Giants. Uh, minus 23 run differential, but they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, including a series win over the Dodgers, where the Dodgers played very, very sloppy. But hey, credits to the Diamondbacks for winning that series. But that's all I got to say about the NL West. That's all I got to say about the National League, and that's all I have to say about the MLB entirely. So let's move on to the NBA playoffs, uh, starting in the Eastern Conference. In the Eastern Conference, we have the Philadelphia 76ers, who defeated the Toronto Raptors 4-2. to uh, They won in Game 6 on the road, 132-97. to I did not think they were going to be able to do that after what I had seen uh, in Game 5 at home. I thought they were going to close it out in Game 5 at home initially, but because of that, because they didn't do that, I, I did not think that that was something that they were going to end up doing. I didn't think they were going to close this close it out here on the road. Uh, but credit to the Sixers for doing so. Overall, the, the biggest issue with this is not the win, but the fact that Joel Embiid is now out kind of, I guess, indefinitely is not necessarily the word, but he doesn't have a timetable to return because of a concussion, and I think it's an orbital fracture, which is in the eye, the same injury he was dealing with last year, actually. Uh, or uh, not last year, but I think in 2018 or 2019. Uh, but look, Joel played very well in this last game against Toronto, uh, 12 of 18 shooting 33 points. Maxi had 25 on 8 of 16. Harden had 22 on 7 of 12, along with 15 assists. Maxi had 8 assists himself. Uh, Embiid threw in 10 rebounds too. Tobias Harris had 19 and 11. And I mean, look, when they when their entire starting lineup plays like that, Toronto with no <laughs> Toronto with no Fred Van Vliet against that lineup playing like that, they have no chance to win. It, 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 it I hate to say it, but it's true. They do not have a chance to win that game. Even with Chris Boucher having 25 points and 10 rebounds off the bench, definitely not enough. Uh, but let's move on from that series. Obviously, only one game to talk about. This is a common theme in the East on this podcast. To the Miami Heat, who beat the Atlanta Hawks 4-1. to They won Game 5 97-94. to uh, A great game played by the Heat to take this Game 5 at home and not let it go back to Atlanta for an extra game. Uh, Trey Young played terrible in this game as he pretty much did throughout the entire series. Not really his fault, just the fact that Miami's defense is just that good. Uh, he had 11, 6, and 8, but on 2 of 12 shooting, uh, and 
look, it, it just was not a good series for Trey Young. I believe I heard that his uh, he had 30 made field goals, 30 turnovers, and 30 assists in the whole series, I think. I think is, that, is what I heard, uh, which, look, it, it's just not great. Um, and, you know, there's not there's not much you can do about it. He had a bad postseason, so be it. Got to move on. Got to go, go there next year and rectify that. I mean, he played very, very well last year uh, in the playoffs, so it, it wouldn't be surprising, obviously, for him to come back and play well again, but for now, he will be going home uh, empty-handed, and yes, it is true, 30 assists, 31 turnovers, actually, so not great for him. That is a very bad assist-to-turnover ratio, uh, and just overall not a great series from Trey Young at all, but the positive on the positive side for Atlanta, Capella's injury was not serious. Uh, he, he did miss a few games of the series, but he did come back eventually, they had their final. They had their starting lineup that they wanted from the beginning of the year back at the end of the year, uh, but Bogdan Bogdanovich ended up getting injured and didn't play Game Five, so still dealing with injuries there. Uh, Gallinari had 12 off the bench. Herter had 12. I said Trey Young had 11, but really the big story of this game on Atlanta side, the biggest positive was DeAndre Hunter had 35 points and 11 rebounds, his career high, not just a playoff high, his career high on 11 of 21 shooting. He was great in this game. Uh, the Hawks had a terrible last play of the game. And the sad thing is, I talked about the positives for Atlanta, but you can really only talk about the negatives because, they, as I said, they got healthier as the series went on other than Bogdan. The Heat did not have Kyle Lowry or Jimmy Butler in this game, and yet they were able to close it out. Just good defense, just good play by the Heat. Honestly, they didn't even shoot well. They shot 22% from three. Uh, they shot 45% from the field. They just held Atlanta to, 41, to 42% from the field. 32% uh, from three, and on free throws, Miami didn't have the free throw advantage at all. The Hawks shot seven more free throws and shot a better percentage. Uh, so overall, comes down to turnovers. Uh, Miami had 14 of them, but they forced 19 of them for the Hawks, and overall, that's going to make the difference in the game uh, and rebounding somewhat too. But look, it's hard to, to talk about why the Hawks lost but they, I feel like at this point, with Jimmy Butler and, and, and Kyle Lowry out, they probably should have won Game 5. Uh, I predicted the Hawks to win the series in 5, thinking that they'd be healthy the whole time. But if you had told me Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler would both be out in Game 5, I would have said the Hawks definitely have a chance, probably would have picked them. Uh, but it's just a disappointing end to the season after all of that. But uh, overall, Hawks will be back next year. Maybe not better. They've Now they're kind of trending in the wrong direction from their great playoff series win all the way and well all their series wins all the way into the Eastern Conference Finals uh instead of being instead of going out to the eventual champions in 6 games now they've regressed to going out in the first round in 5 games to a team that I don't think will be the champions but you never know what the future holds for Miami uh and they will play Philadelphia in the next round and we'll talk about the next round series later uh but let's move on the Boston Celtics swept the Brooklyn Nets 4 to nothing. We talked about Game 4 in the last podcast, the final game in that series. So let's move on to deciding their opponent. Uh, that ended up being the Milwaukee Bucks, the number three seeded Bucks who beat the Bulls 4 to 1. They, look, they took it in Game 5. They won 116 to 100. Uh, Chris Middleton is injured. He will be out for the entire Eastern Conference semifinals. Uh, it's a big deal for them. But look, Patrick Williams played well for Chicago again. DeRozan only took 10 shots. Uh, Vucevic had 15, shot 15 shots, had 19 points and 16 rebounds, but 
42% uh, from the field, 29% from three. Milwaukee forced the ball out of DeRozan's hands, shot 49% on their own and 39% from three. Giannis 11 of 15 with 33 and nine. Bobby Portis with 14 and 17 on six of 13 shooting. Drew Holiday with 10, nine and five on not so great and not so efficient shooting. But then Grayson Allen again had 13 off the bench on five of 10 shooting. And Pat Connaughton had 20 points on seven of 11 shooting. And even Javon Carter pitched in with six points, four, re four assists and three rebounds off the bench. So overall, uh, a lot of bench points for the Bucks actually ending the game with 39 bench points. Just they, they got good production from their bench. There's nothing more you can say about it. Uh, and look, Chicago didn't have Levine in the last game because of COVID protocols, and they didn't have Caruso because he got injured. They they, they put up a fight in game two. They did better than they did all season against the Bucs. Uh, they picked the right time to win one game against the Bucs. They didn't get swept, but not getting swept is not much of an achievement. They still have things to build on for next year, though, and I feel like if the stars align for them and the chips fall into the right places, they will definitely be a better team next year with a little more luck going their way in terms of injuries. Obviously, also Lonzo Ball didn't even play in the playoffs, so they've had their injuries. They've had their fair share, so uh, here's to hoping that they're healthier next year, and we'll see what happens, but the Bucks will be playing the Celtics uh, in the next round. Let's move on now to the Western Conference after we've now set all the Eastern Conference field, starting with the Dallas Mavericks, who defeated the Utah Jazz in six games, winning game six on the road, 98-96. to I said there were two possible outcomes, that Utah continues to win, even with Luka back, and they close the series out at home uh, in the seventh game, or sorry, in the sixth game, or Luka comes back and the team just becomes completely different, and they just he's just unstoppable, and uh, the Luka unstoppable thing was exactly right. The Jazz were lucky that this series got past the fifth game. It could have been over in five if they didn't get Dwight Powell missing two free throws at the end of the game uh, for Dallas at the end of game five on the road. Uh, or no, game four on the road, I should say, where Utah won 100 to 99. So they're lucky that it got there. But look, Luka just completely, Luka played a great game and he powered this team to the win as you would expect him to. Uh, but overall, you know, you hear all the stuff you can about the Jazz. I'm not going to talk about it too much. But Doncic and Brunson both with 24 points. Uh, and then you have Luka had 24, 8, and 9 also. Uh, you have Dorian Finney-Smith, who had 18 points and 10 rebounds. Spencer Dinwiddie had 19 points. Uh, and Maxi Kleba had 7 points off the bench. Only 4 minutes combined from players not named Kleba or Dinwiddie off the bench. So overall, the Mavericks with a very, very tight rotation. But it worked for them, and they were able to get this win doing that. So let's move on from the Mavericks to now talk about the most entertaining series, probably of the entire first round. That is Memphis and Minnesota. Memphis became the last team to close out any playoff series for the first round this year, beating the Timberwolves in six games. Game five, they won 111-109. In game six, they won 114-106. Very, very close games, but uh, the playoff experience from last year pays off for the Grizzlies. They knew what to do in the clutch scenarios. I'm not exactly saying that uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves have no experience. Obviously, they have Patrick Beverly. They have some other guys with experience, but not too much. Uh, so overall, I think that I think that this team is, you know, Minnesota's built for the future. They're, they're going to be good for a while. Uh, and they remind me of Memphis last year. I've said this for a while now, but that's really what they remind me of. And Memphis beating them this year kind of reminds me of when Memphis lost to Utah last year. Although 
a little bit different because uh, Utah was, I think, the one seed actually, but not quite as uh, not quite as young exactly as the Mem- as Memphis is, and definitely not a, a, like a trendy pick to win the West or anything. Just the straight up one seed. But overall, you gotta like what you saw from John Morant. I I said that he needed to play better if they wanted to win this series and if they wanted to close it out early. Uh, and in game five, that was certainly the case. He ended up with obviously the game winning shot. Uh, he had one of the best dunks we've seen, even though Dylan Brooks shot three of 18. Ja was there with 30, 13 and nine. Desmond Bain had 25 on nine of 20 and Brandon Clark had 21 and 15 on nine of 14 shooting while Jared Jackson struggled with foul trouble again and fouled out of this game. Uh, but Anthony Edwards was good again, 22 points. Cat had 28 and 12, but overall, too much for Memphis. They are able to win that game at home. Uh, and then I had predicted Minnesota to win this one both 11 days ago and yesterday. But uh, in the end, Minnesota not able to close it out at home. Uh, or not, Sorry, not able to not not able to close out game six at home. Uh, they, get, they get closed out in the series uh, as Memphis wins this game 114 to 106 in game six. Uh, with McDaniels had 24 points for the Timberwolves. Uh, leading scorer outside of Anthony Edwards, who had 30 points. Cat was 6 of 19, only with 18 points and 10 rebounds. D'Angelo Russell only took 7 shots. He never really found his groove, and I think that was one of the main things that hurt them for sure. Uh, but you never want to have Pat Beverly taking more shots than D'Angelo Russell. Obviously, Pat Bev is supposed to be their defensive stud, not their offensive one. Uh, but look... Overall, you got to give the credit to Memphis. Uh, Ja did not have a good shooting game in this game, actually. Uh, He really reverted to his earlier series self, 17, 11, and 8. But this time, Dylan Brooks, instead of going 3 of 18, went 9 of 19 with 23 points. Uh, He did foul out in the end of the game, but he was 5 of 6 from 3. Brandon Clark had 17 and 11. Tyus Jones had 10 points off the bench. And then you also have Desmond Bain with 23 points on 9 of 15 shooting. Uh, and Jaron Jackson this time didn't foul out, played a normal amount of minutes, had 18 points, 14 rebounds. So combined between Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark, the two guys that played center for Memphis, uh, 35 points and 25 rebounds. Uh, but as we know, their second round opponent will be the Golden State Warriors, who beat the Denver Nuggets in five games. Uh, the Warriors won game five, 102 to 98. Uh, they just they just outplayed the, the Nuggets. I mean, it was the story of the series. It happened multiple times in the series, obviously, as we know. Uh, Steph finally got inserted back in the starting lineup. They started the lineup that I've been wanting them to start for so long with no Kevon Looney in the starting lineup. And then Gary Payton played some minutes at the end of the game in closing time. Uh, actually ended up with the same minutes as Jordan Poole and more than Andrew Wiggins. So Gary Payton played very well. Poole did not play as well with Curry back in the starting lineup. I don't think those two have anything to do with each other, but, uh, overall that lineup worked out well. Steph had 30 points. Clay Thompson had 15 overall, very balanced scoring. Other than Steph at 30, no one else had more than 15, but four scores in double digits for the Warriors as they hold. Nikola Jokic didn't really hold him to much because he had 30, 19, and 8 on 12 of 18 shooting, but were able to minimize his impact just enough that uh, the rest of the team wasn't able to get it going, and the Denver Nuggets end up falling to the Warriors. Uh, No shame in that, honestly. The Warriors have been playing very well. Something that is shameful is shooting 21% from the three-point line, which is what Denver did. So that's a different story. And Nikola Jokic probably should have had, he could have had a 30-20-15 game, frankly, if he had gotten one extra rebound and if his teammates could make the threes when he passed it to him. Uh, But only ended up with eight assists. I say only like that's not a lot. But look, Jokic played well all season. 
probably going to be the MVP. Uh, but look, they'll be playing Memphis in the next round. Uh, but let's move on before we before I give our predictions for the next round. Let's talk about Phoenix. Phoenix came back after looking kind of rough for a few games. They won Game Five and Game Six to close out the series. Won Game Five, one twelve to ninety seven at home with no Devin Booker. Uh, Brandon Ingram had twenty two points. Valanciunas had seventeen points and fourteen rebounds. And then C.J. McCollum had twenty one points and eight rebounds, but just not efficient enough. Definitely not as a team. Shot forty percent from the field, twenty percent from three. Meanwhile, Phoenix shot fifty percent as a team, thirty seven percent from three. Uh, Campaign had twelve points. Off the bench, Chris Paul had 22 points on 8 of 18 shooting. Aiton had 19 on 8 of 13 shooting. And Mikhail Bridges played 47 minutes while shooting 12 of 17, 4-4 from the three-point line, 31 points. He absolutely carried this game for the Pelican for the Suns. Sorry, he put the Suns on his back, and that was why they beat the Pelicans in Game 5. And then in Game 6, we saw the return of Devin Booker. Although it wasn't exactly what we expected from him, he only had 13 points on 5 of 12 shooting. Still had 5 rebounds, 3 assists. He was kind of getting back in the groove of things. Uh, Aiton had 22 points on 10 of 12 shooting. Mikhail Bridges had 18 on 7 of 12 shooting. And you would call all of those except for Booker's very, very efficient, and even Cam Johnson with 13 on 4 of 7 off the bench. You'd call all of those efficient. But Chris Paul just redefined what efficient means because he just went 14 of 14 from the field in a playoff game. Uh, look, and also 4-4 four four from the line, so 18 of 18 on all the shots he took with 33 points, 8 assists, and 5 rebounds. That was a virtuoso, a masterpiece, whatever you want to call it, by Chris Paul. It was just a great, great performance. I believe he set a record for most makes in a playoff game without a miss uh, in NBA history. So, look, congrats to Chris Paul. He closed out the series in the city that he built, really, honestly, in terms of the basketball side of it. And then... Uh, the Pelicans had a lot of guys in double figures, but just not enough had really balanced scoring. Valanciunas had 10. Herb Jones had 16 with four rebounds, four assists, and four steals also. Ingram had 21 and 11. Uh, McCollum had 16. Larry Nance had 15 and eight rebounds off the bench. Trey Murphy had 12. Jose Alvarado had 11, but just not enough. The Suns are just that good. They're overwhelming. Uh, they shot 50, f- sorry. New Orleans shot 50% from the from the field, 33 three percent from the field uh, i mean from three not not amazing from three but definitely good from the field phoenix shot 60 percent from the field and 40 percent from the three-point line you just can't beat a team that shoots like that and that was really all because of chris paul uh well almost all because of chris paul and then when you combine it with deandre ayton you had two teammates who went 24 of 26 from the field for a combined 55 points that is insane efficiency it's impossible to beat with a team that's also that good on defense i'm surprised new orleans even stayed in this game as much as they did uh, but congrats to New Orleans, honestly, on fighting through a lot this season to get to where they've gotten. Uh, and hopefully with Zion back next year for them, well, we assume, uh, that they'll be better again. And look, the West just keeps getting better and better and better. You know how Minnesota has a seven seed and New Orleans without their best player playing as an eight seed. I mean, Utah might be crumbling a little bit. Denver did not show out very well in this playoffs, but I think that's more of a reflection of the teams they were playing, to be quite honest. Uh, but look, the West is great, and uh, let's talk about the East, actually. Let's move on to predict the next series in the playoffs, starting in the Eastern Conference semis with the Celtics against the Bucks. I have the Celtics in this series in seven games. I think it will be really close. I don't think you can beat Giannis in less than seven games. 
Chris Middleton, no Chris Middleton, doesn't matter. He will be out for the entire series. I think I probably would have picked the Bucks based on how they played in the first round if they had Chris Middleton. Uh, but the fact that he's not only not playing in the first few games, but not playing at all, makes me lean towards the Celtics. But I think these are honestly probably the two best. They're definitely the two best teams in the East. You can make the argument the best two teams in the league. I think the Suns are probably better than these two, and the Warriors are trending in that direction too. Uh, but overall, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, I like the Celtics here in seven games. Uh, Randy says Celtics in six. So let's move on to the Miami Heat against the 76ers. I have the Heat in six games. I think they'll be too much for them. Although, look, if Jimmy Butler doesn't play uh, early, I, I, honestly, I had this game at seven. I had the series at seven games because it seems like Jimmy Butler is going to return, but maybe not exactly at the beginning of the series. And then I heard the Joel Embiid news, so then I just it just changed it. I got to go with the Heat in six. I was even considering them in five, but just in case Embiid comes back, I think six is a much safer estimate. Uh, Randy has the Heat in seven. So let's move on to the Western Conference semifinals. Uh, the Suns versus the Mavericks. Randy going with a surprise pick. He has the Mavericks winning this game, winning the series in seven games. I do think the Mavericks will push it very, very far, but I'm taking the Suns in seven. I think the Suns will get their feet under them. I think they might lose one game at home uh, in the first two games of the series, but I think overall at the end of the series, they'll get a game seven at home and they'll close it out then. Uh, I do think that they might play out similarly to the New Orleans series, with the only difference being that that Dallas is better than New Orleans and will be able to take that game six at home uh, and fend off getting eliminated for one extra game. And then finally, we have the number two seeded Grizzlies against the number three seeded Warriors. I have the Warriors winning the series in six. So does Randy. The reason why for me, look, I feel like the Warriors should be the home team here. I feel like they should be the higher seed because they are the better team. I like picking teams to close it out at home. I rarely pick teams to close it out on the road, although... I did that for the Heat this time, but because of that philosophy, I'm taking the Warriors in six uh, because they will have that home game there, and I think that's when they'll close it out. They'll make sure they don't go to game seven on the road in Memphis, avoid all that pandemonium in the crowd. Uh, but with that, I'll avoid any other pandemonium on the rest of the podcast because that will end this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, May 2nd, where we will see the accuracy of my weekend predictions and look at more NBA playoff action. In the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday and my MLB power rankings that were posted on Tuesday. Also, my NBA power rankings that were posted on Wednesday. All of that is on our website, 4thand24.com. That is the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.